To the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name's Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 117. Wow. Where we will be reading the completion, the finality, the end of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. What? The end. The end. So our spoiler policy is generally that we don't spoil anything, but... There's nothing that we can spoil in this episode. Spoil it up, spoil friends. away. It is the first official spoiler episode of the Duke and... Not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we will not spoil anything from other books or other franchises. Correct. Well, within reason. Within reason. You, I mean, Darth Vader was Luke's father. Yada, 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 yada. What did you think of the end of the book? I thought it was strong. Yeah, I thought it was good. I feel like the end of Oathbringer is the strongest so far of the Stormlight Archives. My opinion. It was good. It was good. You're not agreeing with my opinion. What What has been your favorite part of the entire series? Hmm. Probably the end of Way of Kings. Mm, I mean, that's good, too. You know, when Dalinar shoves Oathbringer into the ground. Mm-hmm. That's probably it. Yeah, that's a pretty good moment as well. Um, and also when Adolin kills Sadius. Yes. Yep. But it was good. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It's definitely good. I, I feel like the end of Way of Kings was more impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's close. It's not yeah. It's not a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten how much I liked the end of this book. This is definitely the one that I've read the least out of mm. the series. And I... It knocked my socks off on this read-through. I feel like I caught a lot more. So chapter 120 is a doozy. Man, that is one serious chapter. a lot of stuff that happens in this chapter. This chapter is called The Spear That Would Not Break. It's epic battle time. Adolin and Renarin take on a thunderclast. Shallan creates a kick-ass ghost army. Lift, Seth, and Nightblood steal back the King's Drop and all of our hearts. (laughs) Yasna doesn't need your help on the battlefield, sucka. And Kaladin takes on Amaram while Dalinar faces the thrill, eventually trapping it into the King's Drop Ruby. It's epic. It's brilliant. There are lots of feelings. Venli has an awesome heel turn moment. End scene. I think I covered all of them. There were so many plot points. Uh, This is this is the Sanderland chapter where just everything is kind of coming to a conclusion. Everybody with a name is in this chapter. Yes, they they all, this is when it all comes together. Yeah, for sure. So I loved the battle here. I loved that everybody kind of got their place to shine. And there were so many really sa- satisfying character moments. I Really, I think for all of the main characters had a really satisfying character moment. It's good to sort of have everybody coming together. It, it's not only good in this book but even in a lot of fantasy novels you don't you don't get that you know mm-hmm. think about uh, what we have with a song of ice and fire where after the end of the first book you really want so many characters to come together 
and it's just not happening. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I forget that things happen on the show that haven't even happened in the books yet. Yeah. So it's nice to get everybody kind of in one sort of set piece scene, mm -hmm. you know, and as you said, everybody gets a little piece to play. Uh, a number of people sort of expand their, I guess, skill set for lack of a better world word. They level up, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Yasna gets fourth level spells, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, let's start off with a Kaladin and Amaram battle. Uh, their bromance. Their Amaram. The Camaram. <laughs> My first note is that Syl keeps telling Kaladin that it's okay that he didn't swear the ideal. Mm -hmm. And I really love that because in the past when he's, when he's broken his oaths, it's, it's, been harmful to her so i like that he's kind of getting a break here and that it's kind of giving us the message that um it's okay to like have setbacks in your progress yeah for sure which is kind of cool and and i was thinking about too how that really that kind of shows that kaladin has, has learned something you know he's broken his oaths before and it was harmful to sill so he's thinking twice about swearing oaths that maybe he doesn't he's not sure if he's going to be able to keep them for sure i think the other part of it too is that I mean, when have we seen Kaladin, who has largely been able, you know, as much or more than any other character, he's been sort of Superman. Whatever he's wanted to do, he's been able to do it. Yeah. Uh, and when he has found some degree of shortcoming, or, or, or not even a shortcoming, just something he couldn't achieve because he's only one person, he would really beat himself up about it. So to be able to have this sort of next stepping stone not be able to achieve it and be sort of okay with it is growth for him. So he and Amram have like, I think what is probably the most metal of the, the oh, battles. So metal. Amram's villain monologuing is super strong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> super strong. Absolutely. He gets to indulge in a major villain monologue. You should thank me, boy. <laughs> thank you. Kaladin said for what I created you Spearman. I forged you, my child. You have come to me, my son, for who is now your father if it is not me? <laughs> I am the wellspring from which you flow. It's He runs straight into Tulsa Doom. Oh, yeah. You know, moments. Sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads. He literally has, like, almost the cartoon moment of, like, of like it's it's almost like Popeye, like he eats the spinach and he shakes his leg out, uh -huh. and, but it turns into like this carapace covered thing instead of you know a, an enormous foot and a huge bicep. I, I mean, it, oh yeah, it's pretty over the top. Oh yeah, what happens to Amaram? I think I mean for me, it's just over the top enough. I mean, he's literally got like a glowing amethyst crystal heart, and he's wreathed in black smoke, and he's got red eyes and everything. And he just goes, it just, it's just like a full-on anime battle at this point. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kaladin's flying around, and he's fighting off six of the fused at the same time, and... This is the most anime, not overtly anime thing I've ever experienced in my life. It really is. It really is. They're all Naruto running around the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly how I picture it. <laughs> so, Amram kind of has his big... Yeah, his his big character moment is, you know, explaining why he did everything. What I like about it is the contrast between Amram and Dalinar that we get, because Amram basically is the one who took Odium up on his offer to take responsibility for all of his, 
mm-hmm. mistakes that he's made. Yeah, and so yeah. he tells Kaladin, first off, A, I created you, so you're welcome. And B, none of this is my fault. Uh, it was all Odium. Odium made me do everything. And this mm-hmm. is what we saw Odium tempting Dalinar with, but Amram is the one who took him up. And I, I just really like that contrast. Well, and I think also the idea that no villain thinks they're a villain. Yes, I really like that as well. You know, when he is literally smoking with his amethyst heart and he's, you know, sacrificed his will to the god of evil, but he's like, he's like, you would have done it too if you were in my shoes. It was for the good of Roshar. Gentlemen, if you have a smoking amethyst heart, red eyes and are wreathed in black smoke, you might be a villain. You might, you might be. Ladies, I don't want to judge people on appearances. If your man is growing a carapace and can suddenly turn the ground into mud, it's he might be a villain. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not going to end well. But eventually, Kaladin is able to basically explode his amethyst heart, but doesn't fully kill him. He gets pretty beat up and is saved at the last minute by Rock of all people. Mm-hmm. Rock is the one. So this is kind of we're just kind of following this particular thread. At this point, Teft has showed up to save the day, and Rock insists on finding Kaladin right away and kills him with a a shard bow. But we can tell that that's going to have Amram with a shard bow. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. kills Amram with the shard bow. We can tell that that is going to have complications for Rock later on because he's obviously made some kind of vow not to fight or to kill people and here he's done this and um, we also find out later on that he refused to take the shard blade mm-hmm. that should have been rightly his mm-hmm. um, he doesn't want anything to do with that so I think that's going to be a that's going to be an arc in the next book, and book four, yeah, for sure. I'm willing to bet so moving the story over to Shallan and Shallan's arc she sort of summons her illusory army and what's interesting about it is that unlike the fused when they were in uh, Shadesmar, because the Amram's men are possessed by the thrill, mm-hmm. it doesn't dawn on them that it's an illusory army. They're happy to kill these illusions, and it completely occupies them. Also, Shallan has Veil and Radiant sort of split from her and do something we haven't seen before. Uh, They're all sort of present, at least in her mind, and they're all working Stormlight independent of each other. So her schizophrenia has completely manifest. Well, yeah, and Shallan's illusions have gotten a power-up as well, and and really all of the characters who can use Stormlight are because of the realms being so close together. And Mm -hmm. we hear this a little bit when Yasna is talking to Ivory that because the the spiritual realm is still really close in the cognitive realm. They can do stuff that they wouldn't normally be able to do. But what Shallan is able to do is to kind of mix soul casting with her illusions to actually give them weight. Some degree of substance. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So she's never been able to do that before. And she's never been able to have this many before. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought was interesting was that Shallan is, well, she's surprised because she's able to create illusions of pictures that she's lost that she didn't think she had anymore. And um, Pattern says, well, this is because we're so, you know, you were so close to the cognitive realm. And he said, you know, all of these people you connected to over the years connected capital C. 
Mm, so I there's didn't catch that. Okay. It's an indication to me that there's something metaphysical that goes on when Shalon takes a memory capital M memory of someone. Mm -hmm. There's something that happens, some kind of connection in either the cognitive or the spiritual realm when she does that. I picked up on this line. So this is from Adolin's perspective. It says the illusory Adolin glowed with stormlight and floated a few inches off the ground. She'd made him a wind runner. I, I can take that, I guess. Says Adolin. (laughs) He does not like that. No. To which I said, (laughs) (laughs) you're mean uh you know i mean we'll talk about adolin later he's got but for the record you're mean (laughs) (laughs) so shalana is able to create this this amazing illusion that she's never done before but when she sees her father and her mother appear and join the army she she has a moment where she doesn't know if she can go on that's when Vale and radiant just kind of show up and and take her each take her by the hand mm-hmm. and she thinks about how she's created Vale and radiant to be strong when she was weak and so this is why they're showing up to help her now but i i really love the image of shalon reaching out to help herself you know when she feels someone come up behind her i'm thinking it's going to be adolin it's going to be yasna it's mm-hmm. going to be kaladin it's going to be you know somebody with the kind of proverbial holding her arms up while she's but i i love that it's herself and she's reaching out to kind of help and heal herself and even though she does go like like completely off the rails Mm -hmm. after this as far as her personality fritzing for sure she also is like kind of more whole in a way that she has been because she's more honest about where she's at so i really just like the image of and rather than her personalities kind of being at odds with her, which in the past, you know, if we've had Vale talking about Shalon or Radiant talking about Vale, it's it's all very, they're kind of dismissive of each other. And it's, mm-hmm. she's kind of, you can really see her being at war with herself. So I love this image of, of the three parts of her personality coming together and kind of loving herself. And that all bears fruition. At the end of the book, we see her really coming to to a peaceful resolution with who she is and, and what she deserves out of life. So I really like this little, the end of her arc here. All right. So let's talk about Seth and lift now. My favorite. Is that your favorite part of this? Uh, It's uh, not my favorite part of this section, but one of my favorites. It's good for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely adore this trio. There are so many, so many quotes. I love the mixture of them. You know, Seth's just absolute, you know, he's just completely literal. (laughs) He's completely serious at all times. He has absolutely no self-respect. No. In fact, my first note regarding them is, I will not draw the sword, Seth said, unless you are already dead and I decide to accept my death. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Lift said. (laughs) I love how Lyft is the only one with any common sense. Yes. <laughs> in so many situations, you know? She's like, I'm talking to a 30-year-old man. I'm 13 years old, and yet I can see what's going on here, and you can't, you know? I loved this part. Nightblood says to him, as people who've carried me go, you aren't very good at this. And <laughs> Seth goes, no, I am not good at being a person. I know. <laughs> like, I know. It's, it's funny. I was... um. 
I was going to bring that point up as well, because right before that, he says, life could not be lived making decisions at each juncture. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I'm not good at being a human. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's why. Yeah. Because that's that's how humans work, man. Right. Like, you make decisions at every juncture. Well, I think this is an important thing uh, for us to understand about Seth's character, too. He he is kind of decided that he's not good at making decisions. He doesn't know how to. And so he's made one decision, which is that he's going to follow whatever Dalinar says, mm -hmm. and he's going to stick with it. So, like, that's it. That's his decision. Mm -hmm. he, and he's kind of done. So, in a way, it's progress. It, I mean, again, as we said last episode, it's better than a rock. It's better than a rock. Indeed. I love that Lyft starts calling him crazy face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, they they go after and are able to capture the King's Drop and bring it to Dalinar. And one of my favorite parts is Lyft going into the thrill. So they go up, and, and as soon as Seth yeah. gets near Moloch, he is overwhelmed with the voices and the torture, and mm -hmm. and he's he's got to go. And um, Lyft is, is able to go in there and give it to him. Yeah. And that's one of the most powerful moments for me. And we'll talk about Dalinar's battle later. But I, And I love when Dalinar says like lift like you're not supposed to be here and yeah, she says yeah. well i'm the best at being where i'm not supposed to be yeah right so really it's just there's all this like kind of epic again like kind of heavy metal stuff going on and this little trio brings just some levity to the whole chapter and i think just rounds it out really nicely well and it's interesting also that they trick the fused mm -hmm. version of the edge dancers into thinking they have the king's drop yes so that they don't come back after them, and that's mm -hmm. and that's how they figure it out. And of course, well, I won't talk more about the King's Drop until we get to Dalinar stuff. Yeah. I want to I want to have a quick conversation about Venli. Venli, damn. Yes, it's the first time I care about Venli in the entire series. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So we noted that her friend Tim Timber mm -hmm. uh, goes into Venli's gem heart, and mm -hmm. either pushes out or kills or captures the void spread that's inside. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to be some sort of major clue, right? For the future. Has to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's setting some sort of precedent mm -hmm. for something that's going to happen in the next book. Well, and it's definitely huge in that I don't think anything like that has ever happened before. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I'm saying is, you know, again... Brandon Sanderson likes to sort of establish a set of rules and then sort of establish precedents for things that can happen. And then they become more monumental a book later, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think this has got to be one of those things that we have to pay attention to that's going to come to bear in either book four or book five. Yeah, you can sort. It's I love to kind of catch the seeds of what's going to be the next arc. Yeah, and kind of where things are going to go from here. I think Seth has a lot farther to go as well. I feel like we're just kind of starting to see his his journey, and I and I think we're going. I mean, we'll get into this in predictions, but I think we're going to get to watch him develop his own sense of morality. One moment with him that I found really important was 
when he's um and it's really a funny moment he's running and he's like flying with the ruby and stuff and mm-hmm. at some point he's jumping over a thunderclast and the th- at the same time the thunderclast is throwing these soldiers up in the air and he's and it says you know at one moment we were all fl- they were all flying together yeah and seth just keeps going and he kind of stops and goes was i supposed to save those soldiers <laughs> like am i a good guy now Aren't I a radiant now? And Shouldn't he, I? Yeah. And he asks Nightblood this question, and Nightblood says, I think they would have flown like you instead of falling down if they wanted to be saved. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is a hot mess right here. Yeah, these two. Ooh. These two together. Not good together. But what a like what a neat place for a character to start with absolutely no sense of what is right and what is wrong. You know? I think it's also pretty cool to have sort of like this duo where Nightblood clearly needs somebody who has a strong moral compass mm-hmm. and that's not who he, he has. He has <laughs> Seth, right. you know, who has no more, like has None. no, no idea what's going on. I'll just do whatever Dalinar says. So, you know, Seth doesn't even have like a paper clap sitting on a magnet that you made in science class in fourth grade. And like no, he does not nothing. even have that. No. <laughs> no but then compass. you put Lyft in the mix and she actually has a very strong sense of what's right and wrong even though she's extremely irreverent about it but you can't really tell Lyft like she's not impacted by other people's opinions no, no. at all she's going to do what she thinks is right pretty much in every situation I love this interaction between them um, Seth fails to get the ruby. And this was actually a very important moment for him when he decides not to sacrifice himself. Yeah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he finds himself being surrounded and he realizes like there's no way he's going to get out of this with his life. And so he throws the ruby away mm-hmm. to save himself. And that's that's a huge moment for him that he realizes he's not going to win if he just gives up. And uh, But he comes back to Lyft and he says, I failed to carry this burden. And she says, that's okay. Your weird face is burden enough for one man. Yeah. And he says, your words are wise. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God. See, I right after that happened, she says to him, you know, what I've noted is that people don't like the stuff they have. They just mm-hmm. like the idea of having it. Mm-hmm. And he says, these words are not so wise. And I'm like. I'm like, no, dummy, those are incredibly wise words. You just uh-huh. don't, you have no human soul inside of you to understand mm-hmm. what real people are like. That's exactly what real people are like. Yeah, it's such a great contrast between those characters. So let's talk about Adolin. I really like what happens with Adolin in this chapter because he finds his spot. He just kind of finds his place being an ordinary hero. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the only one that doesn't have powers and he really doesn't spend a lot of time dwelling on that. He runs out and he just kind of does what he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, and he gets his ass kicked. A bunch of he times. He really does. <laughs> he really just does. Yeah. Gets beaten into the ground. But I like how he runs upon, he comes upon Yasna and Yasna is again, full on anime. Like uh-huh. it's the huge, you know, like. Her chakra is filled and oh, yeah. like, you know, there's geometric shapes around her and it goes to a cut scene in the video game and, uh-huh. oh, you know, and he's like, well, I guess she doesn't need any help. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. <laughs> Rolls on by, you know. But he does find and save Navani and Queen Fen 
And we have a moment where Navani finds out that Elokar did not live. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's just a sad. Yeah, that's absolutely. a sad moment. He works with a so he has a shard blade. There's another um Thalen soldier who has shard plate. Yeah. And they try to work together to take out a thunderclast. Uh, until Renarin comes around and is like, oh, oh my gosh, you guys, what are you what doing? Are you, what are you doing? Let me show you how this is done. You know? And that was, and I, I want to talk about Renarin separately as well, but I really liked Adolin's humility in being like, okay, you've got plate here. Just take my, you know, yeah, take mm-hmm. it. Um, even though right before he was talking about how he was thinking about how much of his identity was wrapped up in being good with a shard blade. Mm-hmm. And having this shard blade and how that was that was a huge part of his identity. And then a cha- a paragraph later, he's he's handing it over. I mean, what is a golden retriever without her frisbee? <laughs> but one of my favorite things, still not my favorite, one of my favorite things in this chapter is Adolin and his relationship with the sword growing mm-hmm. and seeing like just the hints of what that might turn into. Because at one moment, he, when he goes up and he sees the Thunderclast, he starts to gain an awareness of some kind of sentience in the sword, mm-hmm. which at, up until this point, we were led to believe was completely impossible. The sword is basically a corpse zombie. There's nothing there. But he, he not only begins to gain an awareness of the sword, but he also gets the impression of a name. And um, an impression of when he's injured, he can tell that the sword is that his spren is anxious over him, you know, that there's Mm -hmm. there's something going on there. So that's pretty exciting in its implications. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, what does it mean for all the other, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds or thousands of spren who died? Mm hmm. Who are like just basically walking around Shazmar with their eyes scratched out? Like, yeah. how freaking creepy is that? It's pretty creepy, though. The dead eye thing. Get why the Sprint are a little pissed off. Yeah, with the X's on their eyes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bizarre. So let's talk about Renarin since we're in that neighborhood. So Renarin's arc is my favorite part of this. There you go. Chapter. We were dancing around it. <laughs> I love Renarin in this chapter. So first, Renarin sets off to take out the Thunderclast. He gets held up in the crowds. But when he finally gets there, it's like he's a new person. You know, his confidence and his willingness to just kind of charge into the battle. It's really, it's just kind of an inspiring and neat moment to see. And so he's able to to take down the Thunderclast. Basically, so Renarin is healing, is able to heal much more quickly than mm-hmm. the other Radiants. And so he can pretty much get flattened by a giant boulder and just pop right back up. I was a little confused about one part of that. So Adolin says, Renarin, he didn't have plate. How? Was he referring to the idea that how could he have survived without plate armor, yeah. is it without the shard plate? Yeah. Okay, all right. Because I'm thinking, well, it's that, or is he saying, hey, Renarin, he didn't used to have plate. Right meaning he was carrying shard plate, meaning he would have said the fourth ideal because he didn't own his own. So I was like, did he did he quietly say the fourth ideal and just not say anything to anybody? That seems strange that it wouldn't have happened a little bit more overtly, but apparently that's not what it was. No, it's just like, you know, 
weird to see someone be able to be hit by a boulder and he's and kind of roll with it. He's like a Roadrunner cartoon. He guess exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. So he's able to to beat this thunderclass eventually, and then he heads to um to the oath gate because that was his. He's got to get the oath gate open so that reinforcements can get through. Yeah. Um, so they they meet up with one of the scribes that has been trying to reach Eurythiru, and she's been trying to reach Malata, who was on Oathgate duty, but due to her being a backstabbing hoe, yeah. is not answering their she, stand Listen, read. she was busy graduating from Evil U. Exactly. And she only had so many tickets, and she, you know, <laughs> she wasn't going to miss this, you know, I mean... But so this is one of my, just my favorite moments when Renarin kind of comes into his own and he, he, he realizes that for once in his life, nobody is telling him, no, Renarin, don't do that. That's too dangerous. No, Renarin, you know, you can't do it. And he just gets this sense of agency. And I just love that, you know, so Renarin is, is written to kind of represent someone on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And he reflects about how you know, when he became a radiant, all of these things about him were healed. You know, his eyesight was healed and, and mm-hmm. his physical. And I just love that his autism isn't something that yeah. needed to be fixed. Because it's divergent, not broken. Yeah. So so he, he says, you know, he still saw the world differently from other people. He was still nervous talking to people and didn't like being touched. And everyone else saw in each other the things he could never understand. But at the same time, he is able to see things that other people can't understand. And so I just love that that wasn't something that 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 needed to be fixed and yeah. ends up being something that's going to be a strength. That's, I think, the most one of the most interesting parts of Renarin's character, for sure. So I also noted that, and I want to talk about this later when we get into talking about Taravangian in later chapters, but about his... Renarin's visions and the way that they appear is pretty cool. It's like all of a sudden he'll have what looks to others like a fit, but what he sees is like these stained glass images everywhere Mm -hmm. and that they have never, ever been wrong until recently. Yeah. And so recently he had seen that Yasna was going to kill him Mm -hmm. and she didn't. And then I think he had seen that he was supposed to die fighting the Thunderclass. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he didn't. didn't, yeah. And one of the best moments is when, so he's heading for the Oath Gate and there's all these fused, they're mm-hmm. guarding it. And he sees some visions and he just stops and um and kind of laughs. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at them and goes, oh, I'm sorry. You're wondering why I'm smiling. I don't think you're going to find it very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we look behind him and there's Teft in the cavalry. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just, that was a pretty awesome moment. The Teft moment, you know, Taft and Bridge Four arriving through the Oath Gate is one of my favorite parts. Yes. Yes. I, I like that as well. And I love Rock going up to Renarin and saying, and just yeah. wrapping him up in yeah. this big hug. And him saying, you look like a person who needed a hug. And Renarin says, I assure you, I never look like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some people don't like hugs. Some people don't. It's not helpful. <laughs> So Yasna, we can talk about her, although I don't know how many really character growth moments she has other than just much in being this chapter, a yeah. total bad donkey. Absolutely. Like, yeah. absolutely bad donkey in this chapter. But yeah, there's not a ton of Yasna here. So really, it's time now to talk about Dalinar. Let's talk about Dalinar. Let's get down to it. 
So in the very beginning of this chapter, it's actually from Kaladin's perspective, but mm-hmm. he sees Dalinar walking towards the Red Mist, the Thrilly Unmade. Right. And at the end of last of the last episode, I said that in this section, somehow the cavalry was coming. Right. Some third party, the 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 parchment who got left behind, mm-hmm. uh, something coming through the oath gate, something was going to come in to sort of save them. And you know, we end that we end that podcast episode. I go up, I start reading this chapter, uh-huh. and I and then I see him walking towards the red mist, and I'm like, oh, there's no cavalry. Mm-hmm. He's going to drive off or capture the unmade. So that it's not that there's going to be a cavalry coming. He's going to nullify Amram's mm-hmm. army, you know, but I, I didn't see it until this part. Mm-hmm. Well, also the cavalry came. Well, yeah, but they really sort were. Of. So yeah, but that was, it was kind of an afterthought. of that Right. <laughs> so I really like the symmetry of Dalinar confronting the thrill, you know, at the beginning of his journey, this is the thing that defined him and drove him and now, kind of at the close of this particular arc, he's going into face like the actual physical manifestation of his demons. Yeah, yeah. And I love how he how he walks in and says, "Hello, old friend." <laughs> and then it's like the power chords just. Well, so this it's interesting because everything else we've talked about, you know, Kaladin fights a dual-wielding, shard-bearing carapace monster. <laughs> right. With, you know, two shard blades swinging them around and all these fused. And we talked about Adolin and Renarin fighting a Thunderclast and Yasna's, you know, throwing people everywhere and all this craziness is going on. Meanwhile, Dalinar contemplated. <laughs> Dalinar remembered. <laughs> You know, his verbs are less action-y than some of the other verbs going on. They are, but they're also, it's also very typical of really the kind of conflict that goes on in this. Metaphysical sort of spiritual world. I, I don't yeah. know the word for it. I don't know the word for it. I, I really, but it's I like sort of the, spiritual warfare. It is. And I, I like the contrast of it. And I like the contrast between the fighting that Dalinar used to do and that he had made a decision to kind of give up that kind of fighting, mm-hmm. but that he's literally facing his demons here and that he, that the answer isn't for him to drive them out or to negate them in any way, but to accept them and to, to accept the person that he was when he did those things mm-hmm. and to accept that that's, you know, it wasn't good, but the thrill gave him strength at a time that he needed it. So to like, just to like be able to accept every phase of your, the journey of your life is a huge thing. And I, I just love that he beats the bad guys by doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he also pulls, I forget what it's called in baseball, but there's the old uh, thing where the pitcher's like, I don't have the ball. I don't like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's holding the king's drop behind his back. Uh, yeah, he's like, he unmade, unmade, unmade. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he's like, I don't know, maybe, may, maybe the catcher has the king's drop. I don't know, get in here, get in this gym now. 
So Dalinar, when he confronts the thrill, he realizes the thrill didn't hate. Though some spren could make decisions, others were like animals, primal, driven by a single overpowering directive. Live, burn, laugh, or in this case, fight. Mm -hmm. So he's able to tempt this unmade into the ruby by giving it something that it wants, which is he allows it in to himself. And then when he does that, of course, the the thrill leaves Amaram's army. Now, Amaram at this point is dead. But it says, the light in their eyes started to go out. That clouded sky made it unmistakable. All across the field, red faded from the eyes of Amram's soldier. Many immediately fell to their knees, retching on the ground. Others stumbled, holding themselves upright, sagging against spears. It was like the very life had been sucked out of them. Fused inexplicably retreated backwards towards the ships. The parchment rushed to follow, as did many of Amram's troops, though some just lay on the broken stones. And I'm wondering, would anyone in Alethkar fault those soldiers for being under the spell of the unmade? What's going what's gonna to happen to those soldiers? I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how do you treat the rank and file of Sadius Amaram, uh, Amaram Sadius's troop? In particular, because Dalinar has been on this whole accepting my part in situations and accepting my mistakes kind of journey, is he going to be able to look at his part in driving those soldiers away? Yeah. And especially now that he knows that that Adolin did kill Sadius, murder him in yeah. cold blood, you know, and that really the chink in the armor that let Odium possess these soldiers was their their anger at their high lord being murdered and nobody doing anything about it. You know, Odium's never been able to possess people before, but he's been working very hard to like turn this particular company mm -hmm. into something where he could do that. And so that was a huge part of him being able to do what he did. Also, when you look at Bridge 4, it's composed almost almost entirely of ex-criminals. Mm -hmm. Now, whether it's fair or right to say, you know, that whatever crimes they were charged with. Right. Um, but nonetheless, they're all escaped slaves and prisoners. And mm -hmm. so how can you then turn around and say to, again, the lowest, the rank of, I'm not talking about the lieutenants necessarily, mm -hmm. but, but how do you say to Sadia's soldiers that, how do you say to them, no, we're going to try you for, for treason. Right. So we don't get, an answer to that. At least I don't think we do. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out in the mm -hmm. next book. So the last thing I have for this chapter is, is just the quote where Dalinar is talking about that. He realizes that he hasn't been four men and he's kind of always thought of himself in that way. I've been mm -hmm. four different men, but thousands each day he became someone different. Mm hmm. So I love the building of that theme in this yeah. book that the most important step that anyone can take is the next step and that every day is a chance for it to be a new person. Just like Seth needs to confront the fact that you have to make decisions as they come. Right. <laughs> or just let someone else make their de your decisions for you. I mean, come on, who hasn't been tempted? That whole just order of nightbreak. Turn uh, control over to another human. That whole order of radiance is just a mess. They are. But you know what? And I was thinking about this, and I, I have it somewhere somewhere in my notes at a later chapter, but that's 
That's why they were able to survive. That's true. Yeah, You know, they, when Kaladin kind of later is, is reflecting on the recreants and why it happened and that it wasn't really just one day everyone up and decided to abandon their oaths. It's, it was just person after person being faced over and over with things they couldn't accept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why the Skybreakers didn't abandon their oaths and they were able to continue because theirs was not an absolute morality. Yeah. They didn't have this kind of, this kind of absolute abstract idea of right and wrong. And I'm doing right. Anyway, we can talk more about that later, but yeah. So, you know, maybe there's something to be said. I'm just saying, if you wanted to sign up to make all of my decisions (laughs) for me and take all the responsibility, there are times that I would let you. Not just you, anyone listening. (laughs) (laughs) Understood, understood. Chapter 121 is called Ideals. We begin our long-ass denouement. Moash is sent by the Fused to kill Jezrian with a special soul-sucking knife. Dalinar asks Navani to teach him how to read. Shallan, Vale, and Radiant come to an accord, and the love pentagram is resolved. Seth sets off to cleanse the Shin, and oh God, I hope Lyft goes with him. <laughs> Venley and Timber begin to teach the former Parchment about their heritage. The Lopin becomes a full Knight's Radiant. What? Kaladin gets some bad news, possibly, and charges off somewhere. Ash tries to flee the city with Talon so that they can get to Ishar, but Jezrian's death knocks them both out. So I say this is sort of a denouement because it's not the epic battle, but there's definitely still some stuff that happens here. Yeah, for sure. First off, Moash. Mm. Like, I forgot about fucking Moash. Yeah, for sure. So the thing about Moash is, it's not just that he kills Jezrian. It's also that he seemed to trap his soul. So what's important to note about the knife that he was given. If you read the the Azarconum in the back, mm-hmm. they you get a lot of information, but one of them is they have a chart with all of the different heralds and the things that they are associated with. Mm-hmm. So it's a sapphire on the pommel of the knife. So yeah, I went yeah. back and checked, and yes, sapphire is the stone that is associated with Jezrian. Mm. So he's associated with sapphires his essence is zephyr his body focus is inhalation his attributes are he's associated with protecting and leading and the wind runners yeah i thought it was yeah, yeah sapphires so he, are for the wind runners the right? sap yeah. yes so i'm wondering if there's a knife for each herald and if moash is going to be sent out to try to kill all the different to get heralds. all of them gotta catch them all it definitely was a very kind of Pokemon it's the way most to death. perverted game of Pokemon ever. <laughs> right. So yeah, he traps his soul in the pommel of the knife. I mean, I don't know exactly what that is, but it's got to be bad, man. Like it's got to be bad. And then it well, says, when he first stabs him, Jezrean's like, <laughs> and then he's like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. So they've been the heralds have been killed lots of times. But never permanently. Yeah. And, and well, also he's saying, what is this? What is this? You yeah. Know? Um, and of course, it's like a dying man's, you know, manic crying out. So you right. don't know exactly what it is, but it's like, 
Is it is he saying that because again this is the first time he's actually died mm-hmm. for real? Yeah. Or is he saying that because in his sort of death vision he sees that something's coming for him, or he can sense that his soul is being like there's something. Something. It's weird definitely going implied on. that this is a final death for the first time for him. Yeah. Moesh glanced over his shoulder towards the fused hanging in the night sky behind the palace. This murder seemed a thing they dare not do themselves. Why? You know, we don't, and we don't know that. But also, this chapter makes it kind of hard to say Moash did nothing wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he pretty much has no qualms Yeah, about doing this. I mean, you can argue. I don't think you can argue that his killing Elokar was right. Like, I don't think you can make that argument. But you can sort of rationalize reasons why he might have done it. He has no reason to kill Jezrian other than some fused are like, hey, you ever thought about killing a guy just because we asked you to? And he's like, "Mm, sure. I'm just going to break these rocks and kill a dude. Right. You know, there's no there's no beef there. There's no reason for him to do it. And this is what we've seen in the followers of Odium. Moash has completely given up his own agency. Just and that's the the great temptation that Mo that Odium has for his followers is is just give me everything. I'll take I'll take responsibility for all of your mistakes. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Just just let me control everything about your life. And that's a very relatable thing to be tempted by. I mean, I've said it before. Maybe I'm just tired of making decisions, but yeah. But I think we all can really relate to that. You know who doesn't feel guilty, never felt guilty about their crimes? Hmm. Debutantes. <laughs> Not a lot of connection between Moash and a debutante. I'm just saying. So I also noted that there are nine orders of fused, which seems weird to Moash because everything else in this world mm-hmm. is, everything is intense. So we go over to Dalinar and Navani, and they're sort of have a joyous reunion after the battle. Dalinar tells Navani that he, his memories came back so that he could be prepared to face Odium because it was Odium's plan to hit him with all of those memories in their confrontation. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that the night watcher made it so that they would grow back in order for him to cope with them before. Yeah. That's actually my first note in this chapter. I noted too, that Navani told him that, Gavilar had made something similar. And that's my second note. Yep. She said, Dalinar, I've seen something like this before, much smaller, like a sphere. Gavilar made it. And I went, oh, yeah. Mm. That was that void stone from the prologue of Way of Kings, uh-huh. which I completely forgot about. Which didn't Wit end up with that? Is that who ended up? I don't know. Yeah. I am pretty sure that when Wit first found Shallan... That's what he was out chasing. Because Seth ended up with it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he took it off and basically then, you know, followed the rock (laughs) for a while. Which was also confusing when that happened because I remember thinking that he was talking about that. Right. But that's not... No, it was just a rock. No, just a rock. Just a rock. Really just a rock. So at the end of their conversation, Dalinar asks Navani to teach him how to read. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because the conversation goes like this. Dalinar, I've seen something like this before. Much smaller, like a sphere. She looked up at him. 
Gavilar made it. He looks at her and says, teach me to read. <laughs> so basically, Navani talks, and Talonar just hears, wah, wah, yeah. wah, 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 wah. Yeah, my line is, he's the king of not listening to his wife. <laughs> He doesn't hear anything she says. <laughs> she's like, she's like, Gav- Gavilar, Malata's down at the Oath Gate, and she cracked it <laughs> open, and the enemies are pouring in. Have you seen my toenail clippers? <laughs> I've been around more divinity than any other man my age. What the fuck? <laughs> so let's talk about Shalon and Adolin. Because I think that's where we go next in this chapter. So Shalon is sitting here flipping through multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. Nobody notices. Yeah, yeah. So she's fritzing out. And like th- it- this is the most seamlessly we've seen her move. I mean, we've seen her personalities bleed through before, but now it's not like, it's not like, oh, Shalon becomes Vale for a minute. It's just like, she, no one personality is predominant or is in any kind of control so she's and she blinking can't, yeah she can't even remember which one she is or which one she is supposed to be she's just and it's and it's it's pretty cool to watch because it depends on the situation or who's talking to her who responds mm-hmm. until eventually shallan is one of the ones that responds and she's like oh yeah that's right no that's not what happens oh okay She's she's flipping through like sometimes like when she's feeling unsure about something, Shalon, it's Shalon. When she's thinking about her duty, it's Radiant. I mean, she's just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm Shadolin forever because this is this is the moment, honestly, that made me just really love these characters together. Adolin comes over and he notices, and he's like, "Oh, hey, girlfriend." Yeah. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something's going on. And he takes her hand, and that's when she remembers who she is. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and I just, I love that, because I think that's what the best relationships do. You know, they help you remember who you are when you lose yourself. You know, when you have someone like that who reflects the best of you, you know, who kind of, who knows you at that level and can remind you who you are, Um. I just, I love seeing that in literature. That's you know, powerful. So often love stories are like, you know, they just don't go to that deep level. It's the, it's like angst and fury and blah, blah, blah. And like, when it comes down to it, who cares about all of that? So I, I, I love this relationship. I mean, most of them don't end with a schizophrenia sniffing golden retriever. I mean, I'm going to say it's a little messed up that... <laughs> In the next chapter, we'll get onto this, but, but where Adolin knows that one of her personalities doesn't like him very much. And he's like, okay. I'll two out of three. Two out of three, I'll take it. <laughs> but at this point, so Adolin grabs her hand and and uh, and, she, and it says she shoved Radiant and Vale aside. They were not her. She was occasionally them, but they were not her. So this is where she kind of recognizes, okay, now this is... I, I, I do have my own personality. This is who I am. And then Adolin, even then, uh, at this point, he he sees her kind of looking over her shoulder at Kaladin. And and he says, you know what? I see the way you eye this guy up. I, I'm, I'm not going to fight. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to cause a fight. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to step back. You should be with him. I, I should, I don't want to get in your way and all of this stuff. And she's like, no, only one third of my personalities likes it. But she's a bitch. All right. We can't listen to her. She has terrible taste in men. That's literally what she says. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Vale has a thing for him, but she has terrible taste in mm-hmm. men. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, and, 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 and Angela just goes, that's worrisome, Shalom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's messed up, dude. <laughs> so we should probably get married quickly. <laughs> right. Before anybody has time to think about this. She goes, don't worry. I won't let her act on it. I'm like, oh. Okay. Okay. Me, the one who materialized outside of you and cast her own stormlight just 24 <laughs> hours ago. You can control her. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's great. If one of your personalities projects outside of themselves and becomes a physically distinct avatar and then goes and shacks up with a dude. Is, <laughs> is that cheating? cheating? Is oh, that cheating? God, I don't know. Is that might be a loophole. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know what? Hot mess. Adolin's like, I'll take it. <laughs> Three out of three of your personalities are hot, babe, so. <laughs> He's like, Let's you know, I've dated everybody else, and it was, wasn't was any well, better. And I love that she's basically like, isn't that like a fantasy for a lot of guys? You're getting three in one. I was like, damn, Bran San. So, and however, we've also gotten to Kaladin. Is he so he's up on a rooftop being like, you know, kind of emo. Staring into the wind. Staring into the wind. And I like Adolin's like sepia tone photographs. He can, he can literally fly. <laughs> but Kaladin is reflecting too, and he realizes that he's gotten to a place where he's accepted Shalon and Adolin and and he says to Syl, I don't think I ever I don't think I loved her. I just loved, you know, her positivity and he loved, you know. He he felt a lightening of his burden around her because mm-hmm. she wasn't like a fucking downer all the time, <laughs> like most she, of his friends. I mean, she was ignoring reality and f- refusing to face. I mean, yeah, any of her inner turmoil. But she, she was made happy. it work. Yeah, I mean, she made it work. This is a really weird twist on the manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Right. So this is where Kaladin kind of comes to his realization about the oaths and um and about the recreants and how the recreants wasn't like a like just like a one day everybody kind of went went nuts and abandoned their oaths you know but he says the oaths are about perception the only thing that matters is whether or not we are confident that we're obeying our principles you know when i kind of realized well that's why the skybreakers were able to survive because they didn't care about any kind of they had a very concrete sense of morality that wasn't that was tied to something outside of themselves. So yeah, that's so something there, they could hang on to. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of conflict. It's like, what does the local law say? Right. But then it also like that. That's not a great solution, no. you know, um, because then they're willing to like they'll run a child through if the local law says that they can. Well, exactly, you know? and that's how we're introduced to Nin. Mm-hmm. You know, is with him. Well, not really introduced but um but that's how we're first aware of him mm-hmm. we don't know who he is when we meet him in the the first time you know is him running around murdering people mm-hmm. because he's applying the law but we can also see that even in that instance 
he's applying it in a way that he wants to apply it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a weird sort of thing, but uh, but also I noted in that same interaction with Sill that Kaladin says it's true then about the Parshman that this was their land, their world before we arrived. That 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 we were the Void Bringers. She nodded. Odium is the void, Kaladin. He draws an emotion and doesn't let it go. You, you brought him with you. I wasn't alive then, but I know this truth. He was your first god before you turned to honor. And I'm thinking, it actually kind of explains Odium's obsession with wanting to dominate the humans in some way. Mm. And you, you know, and using the Parshman to do it because mm. it's, it's, he's a jealous Mm. I mean, his his whole thing is about passion and jealousy. Mm-hmm. So he is, you know, he, these he's a jilted lover. The humans turned away from him. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he wants so hard to dominate them and get him back. That's all I have about Kaladin. Do you have anything else? No, let's talk about Seth and Nin. Yeah. So Seth goes on. So this battle all winds down. Okay. Uh, the thrill is contained in the King's Drop and the Parchment Flea. And Nin's just kind of floating there above the city. Like you do. Just chilling, you know. And so uh, Seth is like, I'm sorry. And Nin is like, <laughs> why? I'm not mad. I am mad at you. So yeah, Nin's not mad. He's like, you know. You you made your choice, um, and man's got to have a code. It's it's not the choice I made, but my maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. He's like, I don't know shit. <laughs> it's basically, I don't know shit. I used to have compassion. I can remember those days before, before the torture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all that torture. And then he, but he says something that I thought was interesting. He said, centuries spent on braze. The place you call damnation stole my ability to feel. Mm-hmm. So the place Braze is what we call damnation. It made me think, is is Braze, is damnation just another planet in the Cosmere? Uh, yes, I believe that is true. He also mentions Way that- Way more creative than our aliens. <laughs> right. Um, he also mentions that of the Heralds, only Ishar has his mind intact. We know that Ishar is the one that that convinced Nin to go around killing upcoming Radiance. Yeah. So I'm wondering yeah, it, <laughs> how intact it actually is. Yeah, maybe maybe Nin's impression isn't all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe Nin isn't a, the one to judge. Mm-hmm. Then I think the final part in this chapter is Teravangian. Well, we have ve- a little oh. scene with Venli and Timber. Mm-hmm, yep. And this is important. So Venli realizes that that she, I mean, she's become a radiant um, against the odds, and she, mm-hmm. but she's able to hide it. So she's on the ship with all the other fused, and she overhears a couple of the singers talking about how they don't really want to kill all the humans. Like, they're like, I mean, yeah, you know, we don't like the way they treated us, but we also don't necessarily want to murder them all. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're saying they don't, you know, these are are people who who woke up out of this dull form with no idea of who they were, what their history is, who they're supposed to be. And so Venley goes over and and starts, you know, this is going to be her mission now, is sharing the story of the singers mm-hmm. and of the listeners and and their history. So that was a neat moment. Well, and one other one other note 
before we get to Teravangi, and that I also realized because uh, it was kind of over my page break here. There's the scene with Ash uh, and Telenolot, mm-hmm. and she hears somebody cursing her by her name, and she wanted to slap him. Don't swear by us. Don't paint pictures of us. Don't worship our statues. Mm-hmm. She'd stamp it all out. Um, this is where, you know, Jezrean dies, and mm-hmm. some, you know, and, and they, you know, get affected in this very, very powerful way. And then somebody comes along with pictures of them, Mm-hmm. And it's pictures that Shalon has drawn, obviously. And she said, but these weren't like iconography. These were mm-hmm. actual pictures, what they actually mm-hmm. look like. Who is it who had been using Midias's style of drawing? And so apparently Shalon's style of drawing comes or is exactly like somebody named Midias. So what... What gave you the impression that they were pictures from Shalon? Oh, I guess I assume that they were from Shalon. Now that you say that, it makes the scene scene seem a little bit more nefarious and makes a little bit more sense Mm -hmm. if it was somebody other than the Knights Radiant Mm -hmm. who was looking for them. I assumed, you know, they were, you know, out kind of running around and Shalon and Dalinar and all them were like, oh, we got a couple of goofy wacky heralds on the loose you're gonna round them up before they go hurt themselves and they shallan had drawn a picture so they could mm-hmm. recognize what they looked like so i had assumed that's what was going on but it makes way more sense to think that it is uh somebody from either the ghost bloods mm-hmm. or uh somebody from odium's team mm-hmm. uh you know somebody from teravangian's team mm-hmm. somebody else trying to round them up and separate them from yeah. them. so that makes more sense to me now glad you pointed that out glad we talked about it i'm glad we talked about it so a couple of things i wanted to know if you picked up on did you pick up on that we've seen jezrian before i know we have but i don't remember where so there well a couple of times we've seen in 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 way of kings there's a brief glimpse of him just being drunk in the garden. But then also he is the old drunk that Dalinar would sneak off to, oh. to, to share alcohol with when he, um, you know, back in the good old days. Yeah. I also noted that Ash, when she feels Jezrean being killed, she, she says, Oh, adenalsium. Yeah. And there's that word yeah, again, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, that was interesting to me too, because we talked about, you know, from from the basement of time, Adonalsium, you know, and, and right. we don't really know kind of what it is. I assumed it was some event or some place, but the way she uses it makes it sound more like it's like, I don't know, but just a different usage mm-hmm. uh, than what I expected it would be. Yeah, she says, oh God, oh Adonalsium, right before she collapses. Yeah. So, so I don't really know what that mystery means. There. Oh, we have to talk about the Lopin. Oh, yeah, the Lopin. And his spren Rua, which that's hilarious. Who he calls Nako. <laughs> right. Wrong finger. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's teaching him he's, all the. He's teaching the double birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a little entertaining thing. And and he's so he's Lopin is and Kaladin are visiting the sick in the hospital. And the Lopin is going around and just being the Lopin and cheering people mm-hmm. up. But he's been. um he's been waiting for his words to be accepted. And then, uh, and he's, and he's just kind of sitting there shooting the shit with this guy. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm waiting for my 
words to be accepted. And right there, the uh, the storm father accepts them, and he's like, "Oh man, okay. <laughs> I wanted it to be something more dramatic." This is you know? very, very anticlimactic. Just funny because when when it happened with Callan, it's like you know it's a mist of battle mm. and the the glyph explodes, and it's all you know. He was teaching a dude to tie a boot with one hand. Exactly. <laughs> so that was cute. So yes, then we have a scene with Dalinar and Taravangian. And Dalinar realizes that Taravangian is more than he seems. Oh, yeah. And Taravangian starts telling him stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, um, you know, kind of what he chooses to tell him. Because it seems like at one point, I I didn't write it down exactly what he told him. But it seems at one point he outright lies. uh, And then he's also very, very forthcoming about a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. You know, he tells him exactly, you know, the truth about... Uh, about what, the assassin and about white. the assassin and white. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tells him all this, you know, stuff in great detail. Um, but then, obviously, there are several other things that he leaves out. You know, he doesn't right. tell him about the murder hospital. He doesn't, you know, <laughs> he doesn't share about the murder hospital. So it's sort of interesting the degree to which he is willing to be uh, forthcoming to Dalinar and, and give him all these things that are truthful. But he's also savvy enough, in whatever sort of state of mind he is, to to be very selective at what he holds back and where mm-hmm. he chooses to be deceitful or deceptive. Mm-hmm. Chapter 122 is called A Debt Repaid. Kaladin's mysterious destination turns out to be a hideout where Drahi and Scar have stowed away Elikar's son. Teravangian cuts a deal with Odium. Adolin comes clean about Sadius's murder and gets a pass on the whole being king thing. Yasna steps up to the monarchy. Shallan, Vale, and Radiant marry Adolin, and Dalinar writes a book. <laughs> so this gives us a nice bit of closure. Yeah, the writing the book most is of very, our main characters. Yeah, is very much like uh, Bilbo Baggins, you know, closing the book yep. on, you know, and there, there, and back again. So Kaladin finds Drahi and Scar. Yes, and they have both sworn the second ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I noticed that Drahi had old cuts on his face. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, why would they not heal? So they've sworn the second ideal when? Uh, that's what it said in the text. Oh, it did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're full-blown Knights Radiant, but he has these old cuts on his face that haven't healed. I don't know. It's a good it's not, question. It's not, it's not that important. Um, but they have Elikar's son mm-hmm. with him that they've smuggled away. So... Which leads me to what is my favorite part of the entire section, Mm -hmm. which is the discussion about who's going to be king. Oh, yes. Because they bring the heir back. Mm -hmm. Dalinar's like, we don't have time to let a three-year-old be king. Right. Like, (laughs) we're not doing that. Adolin, you're going to have to be king. Adolin's like... I killed your old best friend and our enemy. <laughs> I can't be king. I won't be king. Dalinar's like, I don't have time for this. This is a terrible time for you to tell me this. I've got the fate of the world <laughs> on my hands, and you're putting your bullshit it's like, on Look, me. Nobody wants to be king, okay, man? <laughs> yeah, we Guess all, what? We all did bad stuff, all right? <laughs> you know, and then and then Shalon pipes in with. Um, since you're all in this open-minded sort of mood. <laughs> and then we cut to Yasna walking in, singing, I just can't wait to be king. 
That to me is the best part. Yeah, and of I the section. I enjoy how we see it through the eyes of Polona. Mm-hmm. She and Sabariel are still still kicking around, and um, she's sitting there like just kind of watching all the nobles run around and gossip with each other. And Yasna walks in with a with a tiara. And she's like, oh, shit. Snap. It's going down. <laughs> so, yes, that's going to be kind of setting up a, a new arc in the future, watching Yasna become a queen and how is she going to interact with all of the nobles and stuff. Well, I think I think she's also going to be a very interesting queen. Yeah. Because on one hand, if you look at all the, you know, the candidates, theoretically. Mm-hmm. She makes the most sense in so many ways. Oh, absolutely. Right? I'm sure that they're going to make Alucard's son her heir, right? I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a lot of weird, complicated issues around, you know, the the lineage and, and all that stuff. There's not, the, she doesn't have all that baggage that a lot of people have. But just like Dalinar, she's despised by the Vorans. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And she's got a little bit of Taravangian on a smart day going on, mm-hmm. where she's not particularly sympathetic all the time, right. or empathetic, rather. Yeah. So while I agree, it's she's still the best candidate. It's not as though she's a perfect candidate. You're right. And I, and but I think is. she's... I think she's grown in a lot of ways. And I think that her relationship with Shalon has softened her and kind of made her question her, you know, her, her very strict, unyielding sense of morality has started to, um, to waver a little bit mm-hmm. and her, you know, her kind of really rigid self-assuredness. We've seen that start to kind of crack a little bit. So it'll be cool to see where she goes from here. It'll be cool to see where Shalon Vale and Radiant go from here. Mm-hmm. I really liked the scene where Shalon is, we're kind of leading up to her wedding and she sees Vale and Radiant kind of materialize in front of her. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of talking about what they're going to do. And and we find out that she still hasn't told anyone about her involvement with the ghost bloods yet. So yeah. mm-hmm. that's still out there. And she's like, Plenty of plot I'm gonna, she's like, I'm going to make Vale explain that to Adolin. She's <laughs> like, he's getting used to her, although he won't be intimate with her. He treats her like a drinking buddy, which actually kind of works for both of them. <laughs> I'm like, good Lord. What a mess. But it's a, it's going to be very interesting to see mm-hmm. how that works out. But it's a really powerful moment for Shalon when she kind of, both again, both of these these personalities who have been very kind of contentious towards her whenever they've talked about her and dismissive towards her, and she created them out of an unhappiness with herself. Mm-hmm. You know, and her motivation for both of them, for creating both of them, was that she felt inadequate. So for her to be able to, for those personalities to be able to look at her and say, you deserve to be happy. That was just a really, that was a powerful moment. Yeah. And that's when her brothers walk in and we find out about uh, the ghost bloods. And Moraes says in his note, hey, thanks for saving the world. <laughs> uh, in exchange, we forgave part uh-huh. of your debt. Yeah. Because we can't not have you under our thumb right. in some capacity. But I- I'm curious to see what's going to happen uh, because... Marais has 
sort of theoretically at least, given away his leverage Mm -hmm. by returning her brothers. Mm. So far, Shallan's goals and the Radiant's goals and the Ghostblood's goals have all sort of aligned. Right. I'm presuming it won't always be that way. At some point, they're going to diverge. Right. Marais has given her back her brothers. What's going to happen when they're like, now we want you to kill Adolin or, you know, or something? I'm excited to see what happens uh, when we get to that point, because that that's going to happen at some point. Yes, I agree. And then we have Moash has another little run in with Mm -hmm. some of the some of the other listeners Mm -hmm. uh, there. And he says, Ken, uh, you were freed from your slavery. Uh, They want us to farm, she said. I'm tired of farming. And I'm no house servant, Ken said. So you'll break rocks instead, Moash asked. It doesn't really see what I'm getting at is they were freed from their slavery to humans. And it doesn't seem like they're very free. No, it does not. It also seems like Moash has inspired some loyalty. Yeah, and then, you know, they give Moash an honor blade, and he zips off into the sky with a new name, and it's like, okay, Assassin in White Round 2. Like, it's, you know. No, you know, I think Moash and Venley are going to end up teaming up for the good of the singers. Hmm, okay. I don't think he's going to remain just like a thoughtless tool, even though he is a thoughtless tool. Currently, he is a thoughtless tool. Then we have what I think is the most important part of this chapter. The oh, more, yeah. Is Teravangian and his confrontation with Odium. So Teravangian wakes up. He's having a stupid day. He's dumber than a bag of wet hair. Absolutely. And he thinks to himself at some at one point, what fools we can be. We never know as much as we think. Perhaps in that the smart me has always been the stupid one. And I was like, yup. Uh-huh. So I really think that Teravangian's ability to save everyone is going to end up coming from his empathy. 100% Not from his intelligence. 100% And agree. I just love it. I- I'm pretty sure that's how book five is going to end. Yeah. That's my take. So Teravangian is, you know, he's been declared stupid. So his, his sycophants or whatever are just like kind of ignoring him and they're talking about like this confrontation that's going to happen. And he starts to feel Odium speaking mm-hmm. to him. And he realizes that, no, oh, no, wait. The conf- the big confrontation is actually about to happen right now. Well, and, and I, can I take a, a step back? Yeah. Oh, actually, it, it's kind of going in a circle, but, but bear with me. So Odium pops up, you know, and he says, why couldn't you come back on a day when I'm smart? Oh, he's like, hey, I'm not feeling so good. Can we take a rain check on this? I was... <laughs> Try again tomorrow. Uh, You know, and Odium says, do you not realize that I chose this day specifically because of your ailment? You think I would ever want to negotiate with you from a position when you have a position of power? And and this is where, like, you know, our conversation about the empathy is where the power actually comes from. Mm -hmm. The reason why I think you're right and why I think this is going to be how book five ends is because Odium also doesn't realize that the power is the empathy, not his brilliance. There's a lot of brilliant people in Roshar. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily a source of power that's going to, you can't outsmart Odium. Mm -hmm. Like, how could you even think that's possible? Mm -hmm. You know, but it's also 
interesting to me that not only does Teravangian not realize it, but Odium doesn't either. Well, and I think this is so important. And something that just occurred to me on this read-through in this section is, so we start with Odium looks at the diagram and he mm -hmm. says, wow, you did this without access to Fortune, capital F, mm -hmm. or the spiritual realm. And he's impressed. And he's like, but let me show you how far I can see. And yeah. he, and so the, the words that Teravangian wrote are like multiplied and he sees that Odium can actually see you know, all these different pathways into all of these different futures. Mm -hmm. And we've known this before, and that's why there's this big taboo against anything that smacks of telling the future, because those powers come from Odium. And that's why everybody was all wigged out by Renarin, mm -hmm. because telling the future is of Odium. So, but I thought this was so important, because what he realizes is that there's a black spot where Odium cannot see. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And the root of that black spot is... Renarin. And Renarin's powers, as of late, there are things that they can't predict. And all of those things have to do with love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so Renarin's power, if it's connected to capital F, fortune, or whatever it is that allows Odium to see the future, but maybe because Renarin is so different and his spren is different, maybe that power isn't going to work perfectly. And when Renarin's visions have started going wrong um, was when they couldn't predict Yasna having mercy on him. Mm -hmm. So, and also Dalinar was not supposed to ascend. He was not supposed to make a decision based on love. So, so I think that is, is going to be Odium's downfall. And I was just, it just makes me think about the difference between, so Odium represents passion, but there's a difference between passion and love. And Odium can't really understand self-sacrifice, you know, and he can't really understand like the decision that Dalinar made and why would you hold on to something painful if you were able to let it go? And why would you, you know, do the right thing because it's the right thing? So I just, I think it's a neat. And I'm certain in his visions that he predicted, he predicted Yasna killing Renarin, mm -hmm. you know, because as you said, he can't see or understand uh, love and it is a, it's the one variable he can't account for. So Teravangian also sees a message written in the diagram from his smart self. Yeah, I know. who apparently even it foresaw this, anticipated this might happen. Yeah. He did. So <laughs> in case of odium appearing to you, <laughs> break class, break class, and the message prompts him to make a deal with odium. And first, he tries to be tricky. He says. For just my people, save my people. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Odium says, yeah, no, because your plan is to be king of everyone, and then mm -hmm. I would have to spare everyone. Nice mm -hmm. try. So he ends up settling on Carbaranth, and that he's going to help Odium in exchange for his city. What a jerk. Well, you know, that's the other part of it as well, is that his trip to the Night Watcher, and I almost wonder if he didn't end up seeing cultivation as well, right? Mm-hmm. His trip to the Night Watcher, he asked for the capacity to save Roshar. Mm -hmm. He did not ask for the capacity to save Carborant. Mm -hmm. He did not ask for the capacity to negotiate with Odium. Mm -hmm. He asked for the capacity to save everyone. And in his brilliance, he creates this diagram that might, maybe 
allow him to save Carboranth, mm-hmm. but that was not the deal. Mm. So it's at the other end of his affliction, mm. his empathy, that he'll be able to save everyone, not this weak intellectual side that can only manage to save a city. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is definitely something I'm predicting as well. So Teravangian also gets Tom's shard blade or honor blade that he had managed to. Oh, no, he gives Odium the yeah, honor yeah. blade. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, all right. So a couple of points. Teravangian's granddaughter is named Caravaniga. Mm-hmm. Worst name ever. <laughs> She's one set of flipped letters away from being Cara Vagina. <laughs> and she's one, like, change an R to a K, and then she's Caca Vagina. <laughs> I mean, how is that not the worst name? <laughs> That's a terrible name. In fiction. That's a pretty terrible name. Cock of vagina. She's cock of vagina. That's my new expletive. <laughs> cock of vagina. This is cock of vagina right here. My last point of this chapter is the fact that there's been no reaction to the insat to the assassin in white from everybody around is absolutely ridiculous. Like he's just guarding Dalinar, walking through the halls. People are like, "What's up, assassin white?" Like he's the only guard there. Yeah. I mean, I get that he's the only guard you need and nobody's going to fuck with the assassin white, but also like people aren't reacting. Is he still to wearing him. all white? I don't know, but he's got that weird ass after shadow and he's like <laughs> a shin, like everybody knew what the assassin and white looked like, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just I, wondering if he's still kicking around in the white robes. Like why? I mean, do you think he gets up in the morning and, selects clothes to wear (laughs) probably not (laughs) no (laughs) again it's not it's not so ridiculous like that it ruins the story or anything but it is ridiculous Mm -hmm. so i love the scene at the end where dalinar is writing um he's writing his book um i love the idea of navani having to tell dalinar about the women's script yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, by the way. (laughs) Sometimes, when a man is really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So Dalinar's writing this book, and he runs into this problem that there's no, all of their, their pronouns are gendered. There's no masculine way of saying I, because... Yeah, no first person singular. Yeah, men have never said that before writing down you know so that was pretty that was like oh that's an eye opener yeah yeah and he thinks we took shard blades from the women but they took literacy from us it's like i don't know who got the worst deal dalinar you got the worst deal man yeah yeah it's just a terrible idea (laughs) because like how many shard blades are there to go around yeah, like really, it's not that many. It's like not that many. We got all the books and all the libraries. All, I'm sorry. 
If like you could have all the M16s, but we get all the books. Uh. No, but it's more like you can have these 30 M16s. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Look at all these guns. <laughs> Look at all these guns in this chest. <laughs> We get some books. We just get some books. You just forget how to read. That's it. I wrote this quote down. I almost posted it on my Facebook page, but I decided that was too nerdy, even for me. <laughs> um, but this is my my favorite quote in the book. Uh, he says, a journey will have pain and failure. It is not only the steps forward we must accept. It is the stumbles, the trials, the knowledge we will fail, that we will hurt those around us. But if we stop, if we accept the person we are when we fall, the journey ends, that failure becomes our destination. To love the journey is to accept no such end. Yeah, it's it's Kaladin outside of uh, the gate in Shadesmar saying, well, come on, we got to try. Yeah. You know. So yeah. I just love the message of this book is taking the next step. I mean, one thing you got to say about Brandon Sanderson's work um, is that it is inspiring. It does have a point. He finds a great way in fantasy to sort of show us things about ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, which is one of the things we like about fantasy. He does a really, really good job uh, with that. So it's it's hard to deny uh, that it's pretty masterful what he's able to do Mm -hmm. uh, with that. In this creation in particular, to be able to build a magic system and a whole world around you sort of powering up when you become a better person mm-hmm. is a really, really powerful thing that he's able to, to bring uh, to light in this series. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Ready for an epilogue? I'm ready for an epilogue. The epilogue is called great art. Wit monologues about great art while he sneaks into the palace in Kolinar. He's been there for some time, helping the downtrodden. He saves one more little girl and family before he embarks on a dangerous mission, rescuing a cryptic trapped near the temple. So this was a pretty powerful epilogue. I mean, yeah, the the mother and the little girl, you know, that whole uh, thing is super sweet and super just makes gut-wrenching me, at the same yeah, time. And yeah. it's a very pathetic scene uh, in that way. I only really have two kind of notes about it. So mm-hmm. the first is he says, uh, if race learned that Wit was in the city, he'd order mm-hmm. his forces to level it. Yeah. Which is, I think is just confirmation of what we were already pretty sure that race was odium. Right. And I think this is confirmation of it. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is that, so he rescues the cryptic spren. Right. What I'm unsure of is it's one of two things. Either he's going around and trying to save stranded spren that are becoming sentient uh, from Kolinar because he Mm -hmm. knows that the fuse will destroy them if they can. Mm -hmm. Or he's actually trying to become a radiant. The fact that he says something about say the words Mm -hmm. leads me to believe it's that he's actually trying to become a radiant. What he says is, I've come to realize, he says this to the Spren. First first of all, he's like, look, I know I'm not your first choice, <laughs> but you're kind of out of options here. Yeah. And uh, and he says, I've, I've, I've come to realize that the reason I'm in this city is for you. So let's go. 
And um, I, I think that Wit is not, he just kind of bounces around. He's very, he's very the doctor and the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to sure. wind up where I'm supposed to mm-hmm. and, you, you know, kind of do the next right thing in front of me. And that's what I'm supposed to do. So the first thing I wrote down is, is a quote that I really liked here. Um, it is impossible to make something that nobody hates. It is easy to make something that nobody loves. The only way to create something that nobody hates is to ensure that it can't be loved either. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And the other thing I noted is is that we see Wit using awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool and kind of just, again, solidifies the ties with the, the world of Nalthus, which is where Warbreaker takes place. So that was just neat to see. And I don't think we've seen another magic system happening on this planet or really another magic system happening on any other planet in the Cosmere. Well, we've seen, we know that um, High Marshal Azure was using breath. Oh, that's right. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, but that was very subtle, though. It was. Well, and it was also in Shadesmar. It wasn't, yeah. um, I mean, she, she very well could have been using it on Roshar, mm-hmm. and we just didn't see it. We overtly saw it happen mm-hmm. in Shadesmar. But we've seen Wit do this weird thing with colors and uh-huh. smoke, and yeah. he can animate smoke into stories and right. weird music magics. So it seems like he's collecting all these sort of powers from all these different magical systems. Overtly, he's got uh, the power of breath now that we we saw, but we always suspect, or I at least suspected that anyway, uh, when we saw him pop up in Nalthus. Uh, we know he's a world hopper. I just sort of assumed that like he would already kind of be more powerful than a radiant or at least as powerful. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of strange to me that he would, it seems to me like he's trying to become a radiant. On- or he's trying to save this spren that was probably stuck there because it was about to bond with Elicar and about. Oh, it's Elicar's spren. Like two words before Elicar. Yeah. You know, finished saying that vow, he got killed and so my perception is maybe the spren is kind of stuck there. And it looks like the fused were trying to find it. And that's why they were knocking down every single wall. Because mm. um, they want to find this thing. The last cryptic we saw just kind of popping into the world, just kind of bumped around like an idiot for a while. For sure. So that was my perception was that he was there to save the spren. We definitely know. I mean, a couple of the tidbits we've learned about wit in just these couple of paragraphs, one thing he says is he had a few days with his healing repressed until the tooth grew back. Yeah. yeah. So like, and then he talks about one of the fused and he's trying to sneak past her. And, uh, and he says, Vatwa was her name thousands of years ago. He'd shared a dance with her. Hmm. So he doesn't really need. That was my thought as well. Um, I see. I had already forgotten about Elicar, but, but, but on the other hand, he says, to the spren, I'll give you truths, and I know some juicy ones. Yeah, yeah. So it dirt- certainly does seem like he's going to go through the radiant process. Because he mentioned something with about, I'll say the words or something, you know. Right, yeah. What I got the most out of this epilogue is, you know, we've been seeing this picture emerge of Wit as, like, not a good guy. And he keeps on reinforcing to the main characters, I'm not a good guy. I mean, as long as our interests align... Mm-hmm. then we're cool but i will 
I will cut a bitch, you know, if it's <laughs> if I have to, you know. So that's been kind of reinforced, reinforced. But then we get this. That's that's just at odds with the glimpse we have of him here, you know, saving the orphan, helping the mother who lost her child, him just wanting to help one more. So it's a compelling picture. It's a compelling it is, mixture. Yeah. He's definitely one of the more interesting characters. So now we have something very, very important that we have to do. Oh, okay. And that is we have to determine what order of radiant you and I are. Ah, okay. Did you take the test? I took the test. I also took the test. I know that you did. So I have a prediction as to what order you are. I would be very excited to hear that prediction. All right. So I am going to tell you what order of Knights Radiant I think you got on the test. Okay. Edge Dancer. Shut up. How did you do that? You know how I did it? How did you do it? I took the test as you. You did? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) I, I was like, all right. How would Liz answer these questions? I wish I had thought of that. So it was either That's Edge amazing. Dancer or Truth Watcher. I, yes. Those are the results I got. Yeah. I'm not shocked. So I just kind of guessed, but I would say my best guess for you would be a Stone Ward. I don't even think that was in the top three. Oh, damn. Oh, I lost this game. Tell me. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. That would be the seventh oh, most likely. <laughs> I am a will shaper, baby. A will shaper. That I don't was even my know what that guess. is. Well, what's the description? It says, you're a will shaper, which gives you access to the surges of transportation and cohesion. It just tells me what... Um, Oh, will shapers have a reputation for attracting builders, craftspeople, and creators to the radiance. And then my picture, my screen capture cuts off. Oh. Because I just wanted to make sure that I remember the symbol and which name I was. I don't know anyone who's a will shaper. It was close between will shaper and light weaver. They were only I a was couple going of, to say a stone ward or a light weaver. Yeah. It was only a couple of percentage points off. Mm-hmm. Well... Will Shaper all the way. I don't I I don't have any idea what it is. Lost that game hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> but good, well done. But see, I would the reason why you didn't think of it to take the test is me, is because you actually understand enough about them. Uh-huh. Where I was like, I can't even begin to like I never would have guessed that you were an edge dancer. Uh-huh. I would not have guessed that. Um, because I don't, you know, the only edge dancer I know is Lyft. Right. Um, but, so so my only recourse was to take the test as you. <laughs> yeah, no, what I, what I like about the edge dancers is their emphasis on listening to those who are forgotten mm-hmm. and, and, you know, helping the little people. That definitely appeals to me. I mean, for me, what, I mean, I, I can... This could get real sappy, but I will just say, I've always, <laughs> you're kind of my rock. Aww. And the stone wards are there. 
their ideal, we think their second ideal is something like I will stand where others fall. And so you, you're very dependable. Let's just, I won't oh, get too mushy. Will anyway, sh- apparently Shaper, I was wrong. Will Shaper say, I will seek freedom. Oh. So it's only because I love you so much that I'm sticking around. <laughs> it's true. You know what? It's, I'm, it's true. Because otherwise I'd be out there on the wind, baby. You absolutely would. <laughs> All right. So are you ready for some listener interactions? Yes. All right, so we got listener interactions a couple of different ways, including an email from Victor Walgren. I'm not going to read the entire email, but I will read uh, the particular questions that he asks. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, how would you rank uh, the three Stormlight books and why? Hmm. For you, for you, Oathbringer is clearly the best. Yes, I liked Oathbringer the best. I mean, I liked uh, Way of Kings the best. Mm-hmm. But for me, Way of Kings and Oath... I really... Honestly, that's not true. I think I liked Oathbringer the best. Mm-hmm. I just like the ending of Way of Kings a little better. The ending of Way of Kings is great. So I would say Oathbringer, Way of Kings, Words of Radiance. Mm-hmm. I'm presuming you would probably say the same thing? I don't know. I do. I love the end of Way of Kings. But like I said, like I've said many times... I had a very hard time getting into it. Yeah. It was a lot, a lot of buildup. It's a lot of Mopey Kaladin, too. A lot of Mopey Kaladin, which is not my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So, and I and I feel like Words of Radiance has a lot more development with Shalon, and she gets very interesting, so I, I like that true, more. true, yeah. I, I might go Oathbringer, Words of Radiance, Way of Kings. But every time I read this series through, honestly, I pick up on more, and I enjoy it more. Well, I can tell you, like, there are other series that I've reread, went back and reread, mm-hmm. and over time, like, the order of which books I like best changes. Yes. You know, particularly on, on rereads. Mm-hmm. Next question is top five characters. Uh, so, for me, it's T-Vange. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I like I like me some Teravangian. Mm-hmm. Wit. Mm-hmm. I think Shallan next. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Azure and mm-hmm. Vetha. Hmm. I forgot about him. We th- I think he survived, though. I think so, yeah. Um, Because some of Shallan's servants were with Drahi and Scar. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not who I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, No, it's... I'm sorry. It's the Ardent who's always given it back to to, to uh, Dalinar. Oh, okay. Um, Not Vetha. I want to say Kadash. Ked, yeah, Kadash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good too. So I love Renarin and Adolin, the Colon boys. Mm-hmm. Shallan, Lift. Ooh, I forgot about Lift. I mean, does Nightblood count because he's Night another story? Nightblood's as well. a character, yeah. But uh, gosh, it's really hard to pick. Your list is better than mine. Anyway. All right, next question. <laughs> uh, what are you looking forward most in uh, Rhythm of War? I really want to find out more about the ghost bloods and more mm-hmm. about the listeners that just got abandoned and left out on the shattered plains. Those are the things I'm looking the most forward to finding out about. I'm looking forward to seeing getting into Shinovar and finding yeah. out what's up with those dudes and a little bit about that. I, I what I liked a, lo- a lot about this was speculating about the history of humans 
and how, you know, they first settled in Shinovar and how did they go, go from where they were there? How did they get out of that? I mean, just mm-hmm. exploring more of that like prehistory stuff yeah. and also finding out like, like Seth is going to go back and he's going to go back and fuck some shit up in Shinovar. And I'm looking forward to that. You were all wrong. <laughs> and I got a big sword to prove it. Uh, so last question regarding Malazan, Liz, I'm assuming you've read the books. Uh, what do you think of Malazan? And yes, you, you have read uh, this book at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of times. Uh, I really, really liked Malazan. Um, it is, again, it took me, like I read the first 150 pages of Gardens of the Moon on my Kindle. I had to stop and read it. I had to go get the book. I was like, I can't read it on a Kindle because I have to, It's it definitely throws you into the action. There's no world, there's no explaining how things work. There's no like outside character who Mm. needs things. You are just right in there and you are like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So then I had to stop. I had to read it three times, the first 150 pages before I felt like I understood what was going on. So I, I think it's going to be awesome to kind of read it the way that we do on the podcast chunk by chunk and like stopping and breaking things down yeah and once i got into it though such good characters such good characters that to me is one is the most important thing Mm -hmm. for me yeah so i'm excited about it uh so the other the, the second part of his question is you know chad what's your expectations and hope for this new project i i am kind of hoping that it's like a better, more in-depth, better written um, The Black Company by Glenn Cook. Because mm-hmm. I enjoyed that series a lot. That's not an indictment of Glenn Cook when I say I, I'm hoping it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, um, you know, Glenn Cook in, in, in The Black Company has a certain style uh, where, again, like you said, you're thrown in the action. There's no exposition. It's just... Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the characters, as much as I enjoyed them, I don't think they have the same degree of depth. Um, and I think it suffers a little bit from the fact that you you get no exposition. Yeah. But it's also they're also relatively short, so you you know they're just they're not very long books. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm I still enjoyed them nonetheless. I really they're among my favorite fantasy series. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of this as being a better, more complex uh, version of the Black Company with better characters. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. So from Twitter, uh, Keenan Hope, who is at uh, Me I'm So Smart on Twitter, says, mm-hmm. how do you think Shallan's brothers will interact with the rest of the cast? Mm-hmm. I don't know, because Shallan's brothers are very flawed um like torturing animals kind of yeah. flawed mm-hmm. like that family is very broken so you know for all of adolin's family foibles you know and he did murder someone and everything but there's not that kind of deep dysfunction in that family I mean, his father did cause the death of his mother now that I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean... But, like, the relationships between the family are solid. So, it will be... Yeah. But, but I, I agree with you. I mean, there's plenty of dysfunction amongst the Colon boys. Mm-hmm. But but I would agree with you that they're 
built on a stronger foundation from a relationship standpoint. Mm -hmm. That was not the case with Shalon and her family at all, even though I think you could argue it's probably the same amount of dysfunction Mm -hmm. from an external standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Also, like I'm not quite like they're not coming into the fold because they have something to offer necessarily, although Mm -hmm. they may. You know, mm-hmm. they've been hanging out with the ghost bloods apparently. So they maybe will find out that they do have information or something mm-hmm. that's worthwhile. But everybody else who's sort of in the coalition mm-hmm. is somebody who's either a high prince or a radiant or a radiant, um, a radiant squire mm-hmm. or something. And these, you know, three knuckleheads sort of show up. I don't think they have anything like that to offer. So, you know, do they get sort of put in a, chateau by the lake and set aside and forgotten about Mm -hmm. probably not probably not i mean that's not really really how brandon sanderson operates not typically no all right so over to facebook uh so on the facebook group page will frazier says hello i'm looking for a good fantasy themed boy's name faramir there you go. Done. You want him to be a pansy boy. Shut your mouth. Otherwise, you call him Theoden. Oh. I mean, that's a pretty good name. Especially if the middle name is King of Rohan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm uh, My favorite fantasy name. And you could call him Theo. Oh, we need another kid. <laughs> not for that. No, no, I'm not, I'm not going through all that just so you can name him Theo. One of my, one of my recurring D&D characters that I always uh, will play is a guy by the name of Galloway Galehair, mm. which is, I always like that one. But Think about it. Everyone would be like, so is your full name Theodore? And he'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Theoden, King of Rohan. <laughs> Theoden, King of Rohan Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's got a ring. Jake Sapor on the Facebook page says, remember when Cordelia would get visions and she would thrash around? Do you think that's basically where Sanderson got the idea for Dalinar's visions? Attempting to turn the podcast into a Buffy fan <laughs> podcast. And I fully support your efforts, Jake. Um, yeah, yes, it, it wouldn't take yes. a lot of talking. I the don't answer think. to that is yes. We could review some old Buffy. Don't make promises that your ass I'm not, is not going to keep. Hey, you know, I, I, I was there with you. I watched every episode of Buffy. Yes, you did. Every damn one of them. Brian Kemper says, uh, when you read the last few chapters and found yourself enjoying Nightblood's interactions, did anybody else find themselves disturbed that they like a sentient sword willing to kill anyone and who is willing to devour its wielder. Is it just me? Just me? Is it just me? I mean, I was too busy being disturbed about the whole one out of three of Shalon's personalities (laughs) doesn't like the guy she's with. And I'm rooting for this relationship. I mean, you've got Shalon and Adolin, we've discussed. You've got Kaladin and a bottle of Pantene. <laughs> Kaladin and a spear. You've got Navani and Dalinar, which would seem to be the most healthy relationship, 
But she is also the widow of his older brother. And also, he doesn't listen to anything she and says. He, and she, How often is Devati talking and Delano's just sitting there going, she's so cute. <laughs> it's a good thing you're so pretty. <laughs> you know, yeah, so uh, not a lot of like really <laughs> great relationships. Uh, Brian also says, when Taravangian is killed, and he will be killed, who is going to do it? I don't know that I think that's the way it's going to... It wouldn't surprise me if he sacrifices himself. My, one of my predictions is that Taravangian is going to sacrifice himself in a moment of great empathy, and that that is going to play a key part in saving th- the world. Yeah, I think he could almost sort of... Um, you know, Darth Vader, the emperor to Odium. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. conceivably see something like something like that happening. Yeah. If, if Teravangian dies, I think that's how it happens. Yeah. But I think Teravangian's got to be there at the very end. Yeah. Brian also says, speaking of Renarin, apparently his actions led to words in the diagram going black. Do you think this means that part of the diagram is no longer valid? And does it suggest that Renarin's future and his impact on Odium and the diagram can't be foreseen? We kind of talked about that. We think it's the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was on Adolin and Shallan's wedding registry besides new clothes for Adolin and sketchbooks for Shallan? More important, what was written on the cake? Hmm... For ours, it was a cord of three strands is not easily broken. <laughs> misspelled. With the word cord misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> that was super classy. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> you got so much of everything else right. Let's just let's just pivot the cake around a little bit. And that was not the biggest disaster. No, not at all. Of our wedding. Not yeah, even. I don't even know point. if that makes top three. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> Uh, Susan King says, what are the words that Kaladin must speak? Oh, that's the million dollar question right there. I think a few people have have asked that. What is, what are the words? Man, I have, I can't even begin to guess what. I think that the fourth ideal for the Windrunners has to do with accepting that you can't save everyone. Because when he was struggling with it, he was thinking about, Dalinar and how impossible it seemed that he was going to get back to protect him. Mm-hmm. And he felt the, and, and I think it has something to do with accepting that, that I can't protect everyone. That's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to take the field. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take anything else. <laughs> I think it's a good, I think it's a good one. Don't get me uh-huh. wrong. But in our little hypothetical bet that I just staged that mm-hmm. we're going to have, um, it's going to be that versus anything else. <laughs> I'm taking anything else. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Susan King also says, uh, Rock said he'd never use a sword and he didn't. He used an axe. I thought it was a uh, shard bow. Bow, yeah. Bow, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously uh, he's a radiant. Do you think he will continue to use... Uh, Charbeau as a radiant or walk away from it. I don't think he's a radiant. I think he's a radiant squire. So I think it's just his yeah. proximity to Kaladin that allows him to use yeah. Stormlight. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he becomes a radiant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if uh, the I wonder if he can even become one, given he seems to have a different relationship with Spren mm-hmm. than uh, everybody else from Roshar does. So yeah. I don't know. Um, but the question, I think the more interesting part of the question is, 
did he break the seal? Does mm-hmm. he now become like an archer? Mm. Uh, or is this a one-time thing? I mean, the fact that he refused the shard blade is very telling, yeah. I think. Eric Allgaier says, if you had to write your own how it should have ended for Oathbringer, what would it be? While you're thinking about it, here's mine. <laughs> Queen Fen is giving Navani a tour of the bank vaults when they stumble upon poor Ryson, surrounded by a bunch of dead fused, who says, I'm okay, your highness, but I'm afraid my Larkin ate your greatest treasure. Navani recovers after being speechless and says, you've got a live frickin' Larkin? Then Navani slaps on her DNA sequencer Fabriel, and within an hour, she's got an army of Larkins attacking Odium and sucking him dry. I mean, yeah, okay. I think I think that um, Navani and Yasna are going to create a smart Fabriel that's going to allow them to tap into the internet, and they're just going to be able to Google that shit. <laughs> and they're going to be like, you know, the way we are treating each other as a society is way wrong. <laughs> According to these posts on Facebook, I don't think we are doing this right. <laughs> According to Facebook. Alex Borica says, uh, what are uh, both of your favorite scenes and quotes from the series so far? If you were a character in Stormlight, who would you be and why? I mean, I would be Lyft because <laughs> A, bottomless metabolism. Hello. Yeah, but you're always hungry. Oh, that's a tough one. But yeah, right? I'd still be Lyft. Honestly, most of my favorite scenes relate to Nightblood. Oh, yeah. So many of them relate to Nightblood. Yeah. And and, and the one I said last episode uh, with uh, Nav- uh, Yasna and Renarin, I thought that was, you know, really cool. I really liked Ryson's story. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of a cool a cool one as well. Uh, and the Amia out there and the, the um, Soulcaster turning to smoke. That was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. The uh, Super Mario Brothers world that is Shadesmar is just a yes. little batty. Yeah. It's, it's, I almost can't even wrap my brain around that. Yeah. Um, but if I was going to be a character, who would I be? High Marshal Azure. Mm. She's pretty badass. That's who yeah. I would be. Phyllis Hart says, I'm rereading Gentleman Bastards and then listening to the podcast again. And I had a laugh when you were talking about how the fourth book would be out soon. <laughs> but now it really will be out soon. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Okay, sure. <laughs> There's not a question there, Phyllis. <laughs> Theogram Brown says, uh, Wit danced with one of the fused once upon a time. Uh, back in the days when humans first arrived and had fun old time, it was it was an old barn hootenanny with the Parshendi, <laughs> right? Or uh, were are they also world hoppers? Is his question? No, I'm I'm pitching hootenanny. I think it was an it was a a barn raising, uh, cider drinking hootenanny. Yeah, I think Wit's just been here that long. So he also says, if the Parshendi get their world back with the help of Odium, they'll forever be his slaves, right? Although he just wants them to be free from Roshar, and the letters between Wit and the other guy imply that would mean a lot more bad for the Cosmere, I guess. Yes, we don't want Odium to leave Roshar. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Parshendi will get their world back for a mm-hmm. little while, you know, before he essentially consume, consumes mm-hmm. uh, the entirety of the Cosmere. His representation is like entropy, like... Like, he's evil to the point that he's willing to destroy everything around him, including himself, mm-hmm. uh, which is just bizarre, unless he wants to, you know, rule 
nothing but ashes, then mm-hmm. that's kind of what it seems like. I don't know. So he also wants to know if we think that the the king's drop was a, a deus ex machina because he says, we don't know what Odium wanted it for. All we see is him Streisand affecting it to the good guys <laughs> by breaking it out of max security and parading it in front of everyone. So is so. And again, he said, is it Sanderson showing why seeing the future is bad? Because Odium saw it could be used against him and his fear led to it being used against him. And I kind of think it's that. That's pretty good, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I really see Odium's downfall is his belief that he sees everything and that he yeah. knows everything. Hubris, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that the, the King's Drop is just kind of a, it, it's like a backup plan or it's an insurance policy. So maybe he was also planning to capture Sajah Anat. Um if he suspects her. I mean, I, I don't feel like it was Deus Ex Machina, though, just just no. because it was it was sort of well-seeded and, like, hinted early in the book that, like, there's this perfect gemstone. Yeah, it's what been built up. And yeah. when, when Renarin got there, he said, oh, by the way, is there a perfect gemstone in this city? Like, yeah. do you guys have any big gemstones? Like, yeah, 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 exactly. And then, you know, as Theo points out, Odium wants to get it out of the city because he, even if he does want to use it for Sajah and not, he also has to understand that it could potentially be used against him as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't, so it seemed to all make sense to me. And I, I have to agree with you mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, of it being letter A. Yes. Theo also says Teravangian becomes the most intelligent mover in the universe for a day and writes a big method to outwit Odium, but fails to spot that Odium can just sidestep it. So did Brainiac T-Vans just mess up or did he foresee something else that will tip it all back? And this is part of the master plan. It's again, he's just looking at the wrong side of the coin mm-hmm. that his, you know, his boon is his empathy mm-hmm. and his drawback is that he thinks it's his smarts and this whole diagram mm-hmm. and all the bullshit that that's caused. Um, I mean, you have to sort of wonder, and the thing that is weird about Teravangian is if you have, if you're Cultivation and or the Night Watcher and you have this capability and it can lead to something as, you know, serious as I want to save Roshar, why would you fuck with a guy like that? Like, mm-hmm. like... You know, is it is it just, the, you know, the gods are laughing, you know, Zeus is, you know, up there with his big board, you know, that has all the things mm-hmm. and just knocks the boat into the ocean and says, bah, ha, ha, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's the only part of it that's sort of weird to me. Um, but, but to me, the answer to the question is, the diagram is a red herring. He says, uh, do you feel like the ghost bloods are just trying to stay relevant? Are they like your dad trying to dance to a totally cool modern pop song at a wedding? Because to me, that note to Shalon was all desperation. I mean, <laughs> that's definitely kind of like I, when when Shalon got that note and she was kind of like, ooh, I was like, really, girl? I was yeah. like, you are literally a superhero. Like, I, <laughs> they just don't have the teeth that they no, especially, <laughs> once did. Especially when the note is delivered to you by the leverage they held against you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and especially now that, like, you're married to the king of Kolinar, like, or or the high prince of Kolinar, like, I mean, I'm sorry. 
No, they just don't have the teeth. <laughs> uh, between saying I need to help my ward and arriving at Shalon's side long, long after she no longer needed any help, what was Yasna doing? A, running in pretend slow motion. <laughs> B, dashing off a quick status update via span read. Or C, couldn't pass that dude with the hot dog stall without grabbing a quick snack. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> well, you know, it takes a long time to navigate through Shadesmar all the way back um, when you could have just, you know, hopped on a boat. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know. Trey Watanabe says, what do you think Renarin has planned for Adolin's bachelor party? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, how about, how about we just hang out and you can like look at some fashion plates and uh, <laughs> I'll just sit over here and stare at a candle. Yeah. I was going to say shopping probably. <laughs> you like to do that, right? Drunk shopping. I mean, I'm just, Ian Crone says, so serious question. All the rest of these have been bullshit. No, sorry. <laughs> so serious question. Uh, a Stormlight Archive has a lot of buzz surrounding some uh, main character sexuality. Do you think the question adds any value to the story or is it just fan shipping wishes? So I don't know. That's actually an interesting question because I don't think we can. I mean, we're all aware that Brandon Sanderson is a very devout Latter-day Saint. And so he wouldn't not necessarily, it wouldn't be something that he would want to promote necessarily. I mean, he's, but, got, he's got open, openly gay characters in his books. None of the main characters so far. Yeah. Exa- but that, yeah, that's, but yeah, that's, he's, he's pretty liberal minded when it comes to, I think so. And stuff. I, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I think that he probably is not judgmental about those things. That's just mm-hmm. my take on mm-hmm. it. Um, so I, I think it is reasonable to think that he could have a main character um, with a, you know, less than binary sexuality. Mm-hmm. Do I actually think it'll happen with any of these main characters, though? I kind of well, don't. I think the question is, do you think the question adds any value to the story? You know, and for me, I would say yes. I yeah. think it's completely a uh, human thing to to want to see representation in our stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so um, I think it absolutely would add value. Well, and I think also, you know, there are a lot of things that w- we'll probably never get definitive answers on. Mm-hmm. In, you know, I mean, in most stories there, you know, you don't know every single thing about every character, um, at least not definitively. Mm-hmm. Um, so it leaves us as the reader with an opportunity to sort of shape and fill in, mm-hmm. you know, between the lines uh, on our own. Um, so I, I think f- for us to talk about it is at least valuable. But I agree it would be... Mm-hmm. Um, it would be good to have that representation over, overtly, mm-hmm. uh, have that overt representation. Yeah, and um, Jen Nagel says uh, there are a lot of people speculate that Yasna is asexual or lesbian, and that's she can see that being true. I mean, there's a lot of characters we can speculate on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, and and have, I believe. But yeah, I think those kind of conversations add value, and I, I think they help to... Um, Increase the diversity in the literature that's out there because you know, people get the idea of what what people want in their stories, you know? Yeah. 
So Brian Kemper says, uh, can we get a moment of silence for the fact that after this podcast, we may never hear Black Betty Amaram ever again? Oh, that makes me sad. So moment of silence. Okay. This is not very silent. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> so I, I just have a, I have a, uh, some homework for everybody. If you have not seen the music video for that song, Ram Jam's Black Betty, do yourself a favor and go <laughs> on YouTube and look it up. It is the most American thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that is exactly what every day in America is like. I just want to make that mm-hmm. clear for our international listeners. <laughs> Gustavo says, uh, and now that we are about uh, at the middle point of the series, uh, how do you think Stormlight 5 will end? I think we've talked about uh, my, yeah. my take is the whole Teravangian thing. Yeah. That's that's what I think is the is the big ending. He also says, "What is the twist at the end of Rhythm of War that kicks us into high gear for the fifth book?" I think it's going to have a lot to do with Venli and Moash. That's a good call. I definitely think it's going to center around the listeners. Yeah, I th- I don't think it'll be as heavily centered on uh, the Alethi. Mm-hmm. Gustavo also asks. Um, what is the most memorable binge reading session of the series? The section of the book that you couldn't put down because you were so engaged by what was happening. Honestly, for me, it was not these chapters. It was last yeah. last episode's chapters. Yeah. Um, not, I mean, there's been many of binge worthy reads, but that that's my vote for number mm-hmm. one. Yep. Gordon Ross says, I'm starting to worry this entire series is basically the longest, most drawn out episode of Power Rangers ever. (laughs) Can you reassure me, please? This isn't going to end with all the shards folk leveling up to the max and finding an elaborate means of combining their multicolored power gems to defeat the Ultra Megas Odium Zord. No, Gordon Ross, just shut your mouth. (laughs) I cannot reassure you. I have the same fears. <laughs> I, I mean, I really do. I mean, as a a not-so-secret Power Rangers fan, I have to say that doesn't sound too disappointing to I me. I tell you, so. if, you can, if you can tell us what Liz's favorite Power Rangers series <laughs> is... And I have one. I will say, I will s- send you a T-shirt. <laughs> it's official. You'll get a Duke and Dutch T-shirt. Strong feelings about if the you Power can, Rangers. If you can f- tell what's her uh, her favorite uh, <laughs> favorite Power Ranger series, Sean Harvey says, uh, "Will Yakimov ever make a dramatic comeback?" <laughs> you mean Jackimov? Joe Jackimov. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like it. Uh, no, no, but I, but it would be cool. If you did. Roy Gledhill says, if I haven't missed the boat, listening back on some early way of King episodes, it's observed in the first Ryson in Alu that there are no spren in Shinovar. Given what we now believe to be true about Shinovar's history and its people's relationship with Stormlight. What does that say about the spren? 
Sill implies that Spren are unconscious creations of human cognition, and surely the Shin think about flame or glory. Does that mean you need stormlight to make Spren? Are people east of the Misted Mountains constantly low-grade invested? Oh, good question. Or have the Shin learned to actively avoid creating Spren? Those are all very good speculations. And like I said, I that's what I'm looking forward to the most and finding out about in Rhythm of War, because I, I think we are going to see Seth travel to Shinovar and we're going to find out what the heck is happening over there. My take would be that it is something to do with Stormlight not being very prevalent there. Yeah. that That's my, that's my guess. All right. So uh, last thing before we get to our predictions is we have to announce our Pimp of the Week slash month winner. Oh, yeah. So uh, for this episode, our Pimp of the Week slash month winner is Mohit Nagar. Congratulations. From Twitter. It's good. Thank you, uh, Mohit. And um, you can reach out to us and let us know what you would like from the Duke and Duchess Tea Public Store, uh, and we will ship it to you. Uh, Mohit is from India, so we're going to... I believe that's correct. So we're going to find out just how far <laughs> tea public will go. They, will for go. Us. they shipped to Israel. So <laughs> yes, they did. So I don't see why they wouldn't ship to India. All right. So All right. Predictions. predictions. All right. Who's going first? I don't know. That's Should a good. We way. play sword hammer hog. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Ready? Right. One. Hold two. on. No, no. Sword, sword, hammer, hog, hog shoot. shoot. You're always going to go hog. Always. You can't play sword, hammer, hog and oh, not. Come on. All right. Come on. Again. Again. Ready? Sword, sword hammer, hog, hog shoot. shoot. I win. Oh, man. I don't think sword should, or hammer should beat sword. But whatever. Beats sword. Hammer beats sword. Of I course it does. Yes. Come on. It's that's the uh that's the paper covering rock of this whole thing. <laughs> Actually, okay. that makes way more sense than paper covering rock. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My predictions. Prediction one. Renarin's differences are going to be a key element in defeating Odium. Prediction two. Kaladin will swear the fourth ideal. We will have a Bridge 4 wedding. I'm willing to bet hmm. that two members of Bridge 4 get married. I don't know which two, but it's going to happen. We will lose one of the main members of Bridge 4. Rock, Lopen, or Teft. Hmm. We will learn more about Rock and the Horn Eaters. Moash will kill more of the Heralds. Then he will get a redemption arc, and I will burn something down. <laughs> but Venley and Moash will unite for the good of the singers, and it will be cool, and I will forgive Brandon Sanderson for Moash. Last prediction, in the end, the singers and the humans will team up to defeat Odium. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. You're better at this than I am. Uh <laughs> Well, I've had a lot more time to think about it. That's probably true. Uh, I think the battle for Kolinar is going to be the major focus of the next book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also that the ghost bloods will feature more heavily in the next book. Uh, I think that Renarin and Adolin are going to find out in the next book how their mother died. 
oh, oh, I don't want to read that. Yeah. And then I think also that there are still too many things that uh, the good guys don't know about your Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And I think that Odium is going to find a way to exploit that, Mm. to turn turn your Ethereum against them, Mm -hmm. to... Um, be able to sneak enemies in That's some a really good something prediction. like that yeah so i don't know exactly how so man that was that was a good one i am we are we are done with stormlight archive oh Th- my goodness this might officially be our first ever longer than two hour episode we have managed to come Ooh, in sorry, just guys. under well, it's not a it's no reason to apologize it's free content but we have managed to come in like just under two hours many, many times. Mm. And I don't see a way of that happening this time. I'm pretty sure we uh, we uh, blew that one out of the water. So, where, so where can they find us? I don't know. It's- they can find us on Twitter <laughs> at the D&D Podcast. D as in David, N as in, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. On Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Please join our Facebook group page. That's where all the cool kids hang out. And you can find us on all the social medias just by searching for the Duke and Duchess podcast. You have to put podcast at the end or you get very different results. <laughs> just for the record. Some chick named Megan. I don't know. She's what? hogging all, <laughs> all the, the attention. Uh, social media all attention. attention. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. actually beginning i was oh i was playing around with my voices You're doing your voices welcome to the duke and duchess podcast no welcome to the duke and duchess no. but you will be to welcoming the duke and duchess podcast no coming to you live from the basement <laughs> <laughs> no welcome to the duke and duchess podcast Maybe later. (laughs) In a world where podcasts come from basements, (laughs) one podcast is bringing you the Duke and the Duchess.